We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it begins. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are services hey everybody long time no see though hopefully for most of you just a week we're back and i'll tell you all what i've been eating most recently it's just me and my brother my younger brother viraj at the house tonight my parents went to go see american fiction in theaters based off a recommendation by me because i just saw american fiction in theaters today uh with friend of the show kate rotunda And let me just say, we had a good time. During that time, we had popcorn. Then she showed me around her hometown of Montclair, which thus far in our friendship, I had never visited. Uh, She's only ever come to Bridgewater. And then after that, we went to a a gyro place or a gyro place. And um, I had some onion rings. I came home. And then for dinner, I had some fried rice, some leftover fried rice um, from previous Nights in. Um, but that's what I've been eating most recently. Trent, your usual co-host, is unfortunately not available. Um, but I will be seeing him day after tomorrow at a screening of Oppenheimer in 70mm at the Lincoln Square Theater. But anyways, folks, that's what I've been eating. It's what you've come here for the opening for, but it's not really what you're listening to this episode for. So why don't I just cue the intro? Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week we're continuing our interview with editor Mark Everson. He's talking about his work on Wonka, the the little movie that could. This week we sort of get into some more specific scenes. He talks a little bit more about some other movies he's worked on. We talk a little Alan Partridge and Johnny English Strikes Again for any fans of like classic British comedy and Rowan Atkinson and, you know, we sort of get into that. And let me just say, let me reiterate, Mark Everson, really cool guy, uh, really informative. So I kind of don't want to stop you guys from listening to the rest of this interview. So why don't I just go ahead and let you guys listen to that. You have a lot of experience um, working in like comedies, and I was wondering. This is obviously a very funny movie, um, uh, and like what the experience of working on those sort of how that has all culminated in this, like something you've learned from those that sort of made its way here. Well, I think yeah, I think comedy. Well, going back to sort of just all of you know what I remember watching growing up. I think there's something, and weirdly, because this is a Warner Brothers movie, it's like, you know, going back even further, you know, just watching Looney Tunes and and those sort of early Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, like there's a couple, sometimes 
you know, in the Paddington movies and in Wonka, there's a few slightly cartoony rhythms, you know, and cartoony jokes. And so there's this joke at the end where he, you know, he gives he, he gives the uh, chocolates back to the Oompa Loompa at the end. And it sort of, you know, it kind of defies physics a little bit, you know, like it's a bit of a cartoony joke, but it's knowing when to go into those rhythms and when not to. And and I think if you're just a real comedy fan, I I think inherently you feel what those rhythms should be. And I don't think there's very many, like really, it's quite strange, but we really are all just laughing at the same jokes again and again. Like there's, there's not that many different jokes, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, there's new versions of it, but really it's all, it's all the same, but just, you know, just, just, it's all packaged the same. The rhythms are the same. Um, so I think if, if, you know, you, you can sometimes know what this joke, what a joke should be and it's having those rhythms and, it, and I guess being a fan of comedy, I've, I, I guess that's come pretty easy to me, um, in a way, but I think not, yeah, in in a, maybe in a subconscious way. I I don't know because once I started cutting comedy, um, you know, I was accepted into that world pretty quickly, and it wasn't. I didn't feel like I'd been practicing, um, and it's quite mad to get. I think in the early days when I'd get producer and and director notes that made something funny, it did really feel like a dark art. I remember thinking, "This is getting funnier. How the hell does that work?" Um, so I think, yeah, com- comedy, I mean, the comedy, yes, exactly. I don't feel like it, it's a challenge comedically. I feel like, basically, I feel like Wonka is, is all the different skills that I've I've kind of learned through the years, and it's using visual effects. I did one more musical before this, and I learned a lot about musicals. Um, and, yeah, it's the comedy. It's the narrative aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly, it's like a lot broader canvas than I've ever worked on and, and there's just more balls in the air and moving parts and characters and like there's quite a lot going on and I think the challenge with Wonka was that eh, there's lots of characters and they all have backstory um, so there's quite a few flashbacks and it's managing those and where they are and a lot of the rewriting went into the flashbacks really of just honing those into you know you don't want any more or less than is required with the flashback. It needs to be very efficient, but also be entertaining. Um, and we often, we introduced some animations and, you know, anything we could do just, just to make these, these, uh, these flashbacks entertaining. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the biggest challenge to date. And I think Paddington 1 and 2 were very, very challenging, but they're sort of simpler stories in a way. So, uh yeah, it was definitely used everything, all, all of the, the tools I've, I've got, really. I just wanted to ask one sort of specific scene without getting spoilery, but um, without revealing anything. Uh, the movie has a heist that involves a giraffe. Um, and if you could talk <laughs> talk about, because um, I very much enjoyed that section of the movie. Um, yeah. Like, if you could talk about keeping track of all the moving parts because yeah yeah well weirdly i mean that part that whole section used to be a lot more complicated there was a whole thread where and and this is part of the simplification of when when timmy comes back 
um, when you when he's gone, he comes back again, uh, and we rewrote that whole scene. There was a section where the the whole sort of heist section, where they kind of they get their revenge, which is the sort of Act Three section, um, and yeah, it had a lot more in it. They used to have to get it was a lot more complicated. Um, instead of getting the key, they had to get a code, and the code was. Uh, Basically, each member of the cartel had a part of the code uh, and they had to dupe each member separately. And it, there was like a lot more of a convoluted plan. So we actually simplified it um, and we did some pickups with to just give Rowan, uh, Rowan Atkinson, who is Father Julius, um, a little bit more of it. It just felt like he didn't really have quite enough to do. And he's Rowan Atkinson, who yeah, he's one of the world's funniest men. Um, we thought we needed to just give him a little more agency. Um, so we we built up. But also, I think it was originally we had the whole giraffe church scene without the build-up to it. And we just thought we need to invest more in this scene. We have a brilliant ending, but we need to build the stakes a little bit more as to what it means to Father Julius and, and all his monks. So we had a little scene before that building into it which was a, another green screen pickup. Um, there's lots of pickups in this film. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so actually, weirdly, it, it'd been picked up, um, simplified, and, uh, yeah, yeah, streamed down, really. But it took, like, quite a while to come together. It, it started off and we kind of had just... It was overly complicated, um, and it was there was a whole section that was easily lift outable, and, it, and we feel like if you if you can lift something out and you don't miss it, then you probably should. Right. If it can go, it must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't need it, but there's weird things because weirdly on Paddington Two, um, the axe was falling, uh, was hanging over the barbershop scene because it, the barbershop scene didn't really do anything in story terms. Um, although it did establish the grumpy judge that you have at the end. But at the time, we, were, we weren't we were even sure if the grumpy judge needed to be on the train. Um, he could just, you know, be a grumpy judge. And, yeah, so we thought, oh, well, maybe we don't need this. And we tried it in and out at two different screenings, and it just worked. It worked a lot better with it in. And we found that actually it just set the tone like it just got people laughing early on and it just showed you that we've got a clumsy bear and it was just a bit of fun. And, it, you know, and we're really, you know, when you're just trying to service the story as much as you can, you know, you question everything. Um, so, and, you know, there was a strong logic that this isn't doing enough for us in story terms. Why do we need a three-minute scene here right in the first, I don't know, first 10 minutes? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you've got to you've got to scrutinize everything. All things told, how long were you editing the movie for? Well, I was on it for twenty months. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but it went over because of COVID. Um, right. We wish, yeah, and then so the shoot went over, um, the edit went over, but also I was on it for twenty months, but that includes some of the mix and. Sure. Work. Yeah. But also, you know, normally you you kind of lock a movie, but it, people call it a soft lock these days. And Paul, I mean, we experiment a lot with including things, cutting things, be like whether they're jokes or, you know, trying songs at different lengths and, you know, just trying to find the right combination. 
Uh, and even like in the mix, we would miss a joke and bring it back. Like there's a brilliant joke where uh, Larry is sort of leaving and uh, and Bleacher tells him that he's a big fan. Uh, we, you know, we got rid of that at one point and in the mix, we were just decided we missed it and that maybe you needed a big laugh there. And, you know, seeing that with an audience, the more laughing, you just feel, oh, okay, that was a good decision. But Paul's not uh, precious. Like we, we experiment with having things in and out. Some, you know, some directors are a, a lot, you know, need more persuading to try things in, try things out. Um, but we're, we're up for experimenting and just seeing what, what happens and sometimes, you know, you, by by cutting something, you you can really it really informs you as to what it's actually doing. And sort of to wrap up uh, Wonka talk, is there a part of the movie that was, or a part of the whole process that was like the most difficult part, and a part of it that you're with it all all done and told, like you're most proud of, and they can be the same thing or two different things. Well, look, I'm incredibly proud of the film because it's 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 making people laugh and cry, and it seems to be keeping them engrossed for the best part of two hours, and uh, and lots of people are going to see it, you know. And this is a commercial film; it's designed it's designed to make everyone happy, you know, and. Like no film will ever make everybody happy, but this is going a, a long way towards that, and, and that that's what we've been working really, really hard to do. And we work enormously hard on, on really the pacing and, and the fluidity of the whole thing. Like you know, my main concern is to keep people um, focused and, and just in the movie. You know, like I, I said at the beginning, you know, my my worst nightmare is people just bumping out of the movie and going and taking a sneaky look at their watch in the cinema and, uh, you know, thinking, well, where's my coat? I'll have to get that in a minute. Uh, you know, I just want people to be in it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm really proud of the movie. Um, I'm really proud of the, the where we got to with it. Um, what's my favourite bit? Um, I mean, I, I oh, yeah, I, the, the, where they dance on the on the rooftops, I still marvel at that because none of that's real, <laughs> and none of the glass is real. And I asked Paul how they did all the reflections, and he said uh, he told me it was the digital doubles that they had to get, mimicking their exact dancing, and putting in the reflections in the mirrors, uh, not in the mirrors, in the glass. That sounds horrible. To have to. All this, all this steam in the foreground, and you just go. The pit, it's, it's just them on blue. There's no balloons even. The balloons are digital. I just find it absolutely stunning. And the giraffe doesn't exist, unfortunately. Like it's you know, and it, if a digital creation can make you go, ah, oh, then that's an incredible achievement. So. Yeah, I think that that's that's the scene I, I kind of marvel at every time, and I, I can't believe they managed to achieve it. And yeah, I mean, boringly, I'm I'm very I'm most proud of the entire movie, which is probably a more general answer than you were after. No, that that was awesome. Um, to sort of uh, talk about some two other projects that I would like to talk about that you've worked on, because um, we've sort of spoken on Paddington and Paddington Two. Um, you worked on Alan Partridge and yes. uh, Johnny English Strikes Again, um, which yeah. are big um, uh, My Dad and I movies. So uh, if you could just sort of anything you could say about either or both of those movies um, would be welcome. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I'm very... Yes, I didn't know that Alan Partridge travelled um, to New well, Jersey. Well, uh, my, my, my parents come from India, so they love a lot of... I grew up on a lot of British TV shows and, like, Yes Minister and stuff like that, so... Blimey, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. oh, I'd love to talk to you about all of those. And did you did you grow up with Blackadder? My dad loved Blackadder, um, but the time at which he was watching it, I was more interested in Mr. Bean. And so I was sort of like, I don't want to watch Rowan Atkinson do this. Um, but I have always wanted to go back and yeah, Black Adder the second. Blackadder the yeah. second is the TV series, but it's really hard to watch because it was shot four by three, which is, seems really weird now. Um, yeah, so I grew up watching Rowan Atkinson, mainly Blackadder, Mr. Bean, and so I got to meet and and got to know Rowan. And I think to start off with, I was slightly worried that because I'd grown up watching Blackadder, I thought he might have some of those qualities, just a tiny bit. Because quite often you meet actors, character actors, and you just feel like, oh, it's just a version of you. You're That's not- why you can play it so well. <laughs> yeah. Whereas there's nothing of, of Blackadder in Rowan. He's He's... He's the most patient, calm, polite, just old school gent, lovely guy, lovely. You know, I th- there was nothing cynical or impatient. He never punched me in the face once or maybe run into his fist. Yeah, you've got to watch Blackadder. Um, yeah, just an amazing, an amazing, uh, incredibly intelligent, uh, polite, n- nice guy. So, yeah, so I, and, and Rowan is in the edit suite daily. Mm. And it I was didn't just working, yeah, working with like a comedy hero of mine. And and the the thing with editing is you've got to win people over in the sense that you've got you've got to win their trust. They don't just assume you you can choose the takes that they would also choose, or that your comic timing is quite what they would do. And yeah, I do remember the day. I do remember a point where I thought, I think Rowan trusts me because I remember him saying, "And what do you think, Mark?" And I was like, "Oh." You know, and I think that I, I can I can say there's lots of parallels of those of working with different you know comic brains because you're you're sussing somebody out who you don't know and you know have they got the same timing? Do I trust them? Would they pick the right take? And and yeah, so that was that's I mean it's just meeting one of my comic heroes and he was in uh, Wonka and I got to pop down to set and talk to Rowan and he's you know. Just love him. He's great. Um, so yes, that's my that's my big takeaway from Johnny English. Uh, it's just yeah, working working with a hero and yeah, and it was good. You know, like do they say don't meet your heroes? And some actors you say hello to, and they don't really know what an editor does or what to say, and you wish you didn't bother. Um, but you know, row, I've been shoulder to shoulder in the edits of Row for six months and uh, a bit longer. And he's a very pleasant guy to be with, and and there's no, there's no ego, and he's just a nice guy. So that's, yeah, awesome. As a fellow Rowan Atkinson fan, that is very nice to hear. He's a lovely guy, and he's super super famous. I think everyone forgets how famous he is. He's crazily world <laughs> famous, and especially as Mister Bean. Um, yes. And oh, and then Alan Partridge. Yes. So Alan Partridge was. One of my, yeah, one of the early films I worked on. So Alan Partridge, they make it in a quite an interesting way. Armando Iannucci, he wasn't really very heavily involved in this one because he was doing Veep in America. 
he came in very, very late. So he wasn't really around a lot. But the way they work is they keep adding jokes to the script. So they had the the Gibbon brothers, who were the two writers, and Steve. Um, and they so they do this with the script. The script concertinas, it goes up, they just keep adding funny material, then they pare it down again, keeping the funniest material and like it constantly accordions in and out. Uh, and then on the day, there would be a scene, and Declan Lowney was the director, uh, another a lovely guy to work with. Um, he's an absolute genius in the sense that he will turn up expecting to shoot seven pages that day. Um, and the three-page scene has suddenly turned into seven alone. Um, and then Steve adds jokes to it. And I remember very early on we had to, because what you normally do is you want to get your star in the can. So you get the camera on the famous person, and then towards the end of the scene, you've got somebody in doing a hand double. You do your cutaways, uh, get your shots of everyone else. Um, and that's how you do it, because, you know, the priority should be the star. And we realised really early on that Steve sort of works his performance up take by take. And it would take him, you know, quite like not like normal actors where you go, they have three takes done. Steve's he's not really even doing it the right pace. He's building it up. He's adding jokes. He's feeling his way. They're just like rehearsals. He's rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. And then we'd realise like it would sometimes take him 10 takes or some or whatever to be, now it's firing at proper partridge pace. He's got the jokes. He's added, he's added three jokes. He's trying this bit out. So we had to quickly change it. And it was like, get the camera on everybody else, get all of their stuff first. And then once Steve is just firing and he's got it quick, get the camera back on him. And there'll be three takes of him where he's smashing out of the park because he's working out all the jokes and the rhythms. And so then what you end up with is you have, you know, a hundred page script that has grown by half an hour to 45 minutes by Steve adding jokes, by the Gibbon brothers staying up all night, writing more jokes and I think it's very much Armando Iannucci's uh, way of doing things. I think it comes from him uh, that you just go, just keep adding jokes, keep adding jokes. We can cut the jokes, just keep adding jokes to the comedy. Um, and then what happens is I think what the first assembly was, I think like maybe two and a half hours, two hours long, or like it was literally twice as much as we needed. But it was not slow and it was not, you know, it wasn't, oh, God, this is, this is achingly boring. It was funny all the way through, but it wasn't film-shaped. Like, it just wasn't. And it, that was mainly down to, like, the first. You just realise that after half an hour, you've got to, the siege has got to have happened. You've got to be, you know, you know where you've got to be. Um, so there was a, a part of the film that was far more overblown than than others, um, so you had to get that siege started. So really, you know, you had to axe all these brilliant jokes. And the other interesting thing about Steve is um, normally uh, on drama, you're not allowed to overlap. So the editors can do the overlapping of dialogue if you need to. Whereas Steve overlaps, um, which is normally not very good thing to do because you're locked into that timing. You're, you're talking over somebody. Um, but Steve's got near enough perfect timing. So he sort of he because he overlaps everybody, he dictates the, the the pace. So the other strange thing is the assembly is very, very quickly exactly the right pace. Because sometimes with first assemblies is they're they're a little bit looser than you they need to be, and you have to create this comic timing and the rhythm. 
whereas Steve hard bakes it in on the day by by the way he overlaps. Um, and you can un-overlap things by finding a take where you can find the beginning and the end of something and loosen it off. Um, but you'd rarely do that because, I mean, Steve basically has perfect comic timing. It's ridiculous. Awesome. Uh, just to sort of wrap things up, uh, we have a final big kahuna question that we ask every guest, which is uh, just uh, what's the last great movie you've watched? And it can be a rewatch or first time watch. It has to well, be I watched um, I watched Poor Things the other day. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It was great. Um, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, you know, a bit mind blowing, like nothing else you've ever seen. Um, great performances. Yeah, I guess you know, it's the la- it's the last really good thing I've seen, and um, I you know I like Yergos a lot. I like the favorite a lot. But I think, yeah, this is like another level. It's a real heightened reality. And I really liked it in a weird way. Like I said, I grew up watching Terry Gilliam. And and it's sort of, it's a heightened world. And it's, it is funny. Weirdly, it feels like it's sort of like a comedy at heart, even though I think you could watch it and, and completely take it seriously. I don't know. It feels like a comedy to me. There was lots of lots of laughter um in in the screening and yeah i was i didn't know what to expect and i really fancied the trailer i thought oh this is right up my street it's completely bonkers but it was really well kind of structured and you know it wasn't just madness it had a good structure and it, it yeah i i anyway that that was that was the last really good film i've seen awesome um, thank you so much to Mark Everson for coming on. He's the editor behind such films as Alan Partridge, Paddington, Johnny English Strikes Again, and of course our film for today, Paul King's Wonka. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Path. Lovely talking to you. Thank you so much, Mark Everson, for coming on the show. Um, It was really awesome talking with you, and we really appreciate uh, your insight on working on Wonka. But our time with Mark Everson has ended. But has the listener's time with craft services ended? Ideally not, because next week, I'm excited to say that we're talking with another really cool guest, Next week, we're talking with the composer of The Iron Claw, Richard Reed Perry. He was really cool. He's also composed the score to Eileen this year and is a a band member of the band Arcade Fire, which is pretty freaking cool. Um, He was a really cool guy, uh, really cool insights into the music industry, the film scoring industry, and just his time working with Sean Durkin director of the iron claw so you can catch that next week um on any of your major podcasting platforms such as spotify apple podcast stitcher pandora anywhere you can listen to a podcast we are there you can also catch us on our socials on instagram and twitter we post updates every week for when an episode is coming out as always thank you so much for listening And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.